one of the pastors here generations and it's just awesome to have you here uh, this morning so what does it take to make you feel really alive what does it take to make you feel really alive um, for some people it's a cup of coffee in the morning for other people well watch this I had to put the part in the end with the parachute just so some of you would start breathing again. And did you notice that uh, the alpacas were just not impressed? It takes a lot to impress alpacas. But, uh, and the other thing is, why do they wear helmets when they do that? I mean, really, aside from having a, you know, just another place to mount a camera, I really don't think helmets are, are going to help, are they? Uh, I just want to say um, I don't endorse wingsuit flying. Do not try this at home. This is not a good idea. I know some of you are just you know, going to go home. You're going to duct tape an old bed sheet to your ankles and, and wrists and, and jump off the balcony. Yeah, don't do it. Not a good idea, even if you wear a helmet, okay? Uh, that flyer, that pilot there was uh, Uli Emanuel. It was in the Swiss Alps in 2015. And actually, a year later, Uli lost his life uh, doing a similar stunt, so uh, which actually isn't that surprising, is it? So uh, why do people do that stuff? Why, why do people do extreme sports? You know, is it for the fun, uh, the adventure, the, the rush? Now, I think people do it so that they can really feel alive. I guess you never feel more alive than when you have your life flash before your eyes, right? That, that's, that's, that's how people feel alive. People are literally risking their life trying to feel alive. It's like that guy, I don't know if you heard about him uh, this week, I think it was in Toronto on, on, the, on the 403, he was clocked doing 254 kilometers an hour in his BMW X5. It's like, really? Like, why would you do that? Not just risk your life, but risk everybody else's life? just to feel alive and find out how fast your BMW goes? Well, that, that buzz you get is from adrenaline. It, it's from epinephrine and, and the endorphins that, that are released in, in those moments of, of, of panic and excitement. You know, uh, Adrenaline is that wonder chemical that enables a person to lift a car off of a child in the emergencies, or, or when, you, when you're dangling, you know, dangling in midair, you know, it's, 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 that, it's that pump that gets into your, your system uh, through those endorphins uh, that, that help, you know, fly through that, that eight-foot hole in the, in, the, in the cliff. But adrenaline, they say, is basically, it's, it's like a drug. It's, it's a potent, mind-altering, narcotic, as addictive as morphine. And the, the buzz you get, the high you get, the euphoria you feel is very real. But when it's over, man, you crash. You, you crash. There, there's an adrenaline crash. And, and the next time you need a higher rush or, or, or a higher dose to get the same rush. It's like a drug in that way. But that's what many in our culture need to feel alive. Now, adrenaline is a God-given gift, 
But if you think that's where you're going to find life, I think you're going to be disappointed. Uh, there's more to life than the next adrenaline rush. Blaise Pascal, the French mathematician and philosopher who lived in the mid-1600s, actually he was a, a contemporary of Descartes. He said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. You can try and fill that hole with adventure, with adrenaline. You can try and fill that hole by trying to create meaning for your life in relationships or family or career. But in the end, all of these things are going to be less than satisfying because they're just not big enough to fill a God-sized hole. We've been working through a series of messages that we've called uh, the Red Letters, uh, discovering the teachings of Jesus. And basically, we're going into the, the Gospels, the, the stories of Jesus. And, and if you've got a Red Letter Bible, the words that he says are in red. So we're looking at some of the things that Jesus said. And we need to understand that Jesus is uniquely positioned to help us with some things. Because not only is Jesus as God, our creator, who made us. But Jesus also is God in the flesh. He is God who became a man. And so he's just got this incredibly unique perspective. Have, have you ever thought about Jesus in that way? As the one not only who made us, but then the one who also walked among us as a man. He was fully man and fully God. And, and so he understands what makes us tick. He understands the issues of humanity. Uh, he knows what it means to want meaning in our lives. To want to have purpose that drive to feel alive. But when Jesus addressed these issues, uh, he did so from a perspective that just, well, it seems so paradoxical to our typical human way of, of thinking about this stuff. In fact, look at this, one of his words in Matthew uh, chapter 16. He said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will Save it. If you want life, give it up. What? And, and you know what? That is not just a kind of a one-shot thought from Jesus. The Gospels repeat this saying more than any other thing that Jesus said. You're going to find this almost verbatim in Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, in, in all three of those synoptic gospels. And it's, it's just there. And as we look at the words of Jesus, we are just again confronted by a way of thinking that is so, well, it's so paradoxical, so counterintuitive uh, to how you and I uh, normally think. But as we've been finding out, that was Jesus. He didn't exactly think like we do about some of this stuff. In fact, the way that Jesus looked at the world was so different from how we normally look at the world. Because he was looking at the world with a view from the kingdom. The lens that Jesus looked at 
or looked through was the lens of the kingdom of God. And looking at life through the lens of the kingdom of God is just upside down from the common perspective of humanity. Or maybe we should say the right side up from the common perspective of humanity. You look at some of his teachings, like in the Sermon on the, on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Jesus said confounding stuff like, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said stuff like, you know, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the world. I mean, that's not the way that we normally think. And you see Jesus' thoughts then reflected through the rest of the New Testament. You find stuff that that says, when you're weak, that's when you're strong. The way up is actually the way down. And Jesus said, you know, uh, the greatest person is the one who's the servant. But the granddaddy of them all, I think, is, is this passage here in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. The more you try to hang on to your life, the more you try and reach and grab, the the more you try and control. Jesus says, you know what? Your life is going to be just like sand slipping through your fingers. You won't be able to do it. The emptier you're going to feel. And then Jesus goes on in verse 26, he says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What good is that, Jesus says. He says, you know what, you can have it all. You can have all the good things that life has to offer. And man, there there are some good things out there. You can have all the good things. You can search out all the things that make you feel alive. Man, you can do all the extreme sports that you want to do. You can live in luxury and, and have a life of leisure. You can enjoy all the entertainment that there is to enjoy. And having it all and done it all and seen it all, just be empty. Literally lose your soul. And not only your soul in that life to come, but lose your soul in this life here and now. Is that maybe why so many people in our day feel lost? Lost in Space is a science fiction TV series that they're shooting in Vancouver right now. It's a modern retake, well, modern. It's a futuristic retake on, on the old story of the Swiss family Robinson. So this, this family is a part of a, a mission to colonize another galaxy. And of course, in the course of their travels, something goes terribly wrong. They end up on another planet, lost in deep space, trying to get back to the mothership. And, and I, I haven't watched it, uh, not endorsing it. I, I just interesting that it's a, just something that these storylines are kind of a common theme in books and television and movies, you know, whether it was Gilligan's Island or Tom Hanks and Castaway, you know, these, these stories of, of people getting lost. Just one of those common things. And I think Jesus would speak in as that and he would say, you know what? Of course. Of course people are going to feel lost. That's the way it's going to be. That's how life is going to feel without me. That's how life is going to feel unless you actually choose 
to lose. And ironically, if you choose to lose, if you choose to give your life away, that's when you find life. In our text this morning, I found it interesting that the words life and soul come from the same Greek word. It's, it's the Greek word uh, suke. Uh, it's not the word uh, for biological life. That would be the word bios. And, and so this, this invitation to losing your life that, that Jesus is talking about is actually not a call to, to martyrdom. <laughs> aren't, you, aren't you thankful for that? It's not a call to actually physically lose your life. But this, this Greek word suke is, is the word that we get our word psyche from. And the literal meaning is, is, is kind of your breath, the, the breath of life, the, the, the force of life that, that animates you, that, that animates your body and, and, and gives life, the, the, the part of you that lives forever. It's, it's talking about your soul, the, the essence of who you really are, what makes you, you. Uh, scriptures would talk about your hearts and not talking about the, the physical blood pump in your chest, but talking about the, the, the seed of your feelings and your emotions and, and your desires. So in this passage, Jesus isn't talking about your biological body. He's talking about your mind, your will, your emotions, He's talking about your soul. And he says, you know, that's where the issue is. That's the place of struggle. And Jesus says, if you're going to deal effectively with your soul, if you're going to deal effectively with, with this place of your, your mind, your will and emotions, you need to do some things. And he spells it out in actually the verse, directly before the verse that, that we're looking at. He says in, in Matthew 25, 26, you know, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you give your life up for my sake, you'll save it. But in the verse immediately before that, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Basically, Jesus is saying, this is how you learn to lose. This is how to lose. This is, this is how to deal with your soul issues. He says, first of all, you need to turn from your selfish ways. Maybe the translation of scripture that you're looking at uses the word, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And so Jesus says, listen, there's, there's a choice that everyone must make if you're going to be my follower. You've got to turn from your selfish ways. Uh, we talked about it last week when we were talking about, you know, who's going to be in charge. I remember with Jesus, everything's about the kingdom. He came preaching that the kingdom of, of, of heaven was near. That was his focus. That was kind of his master thought. And so everything that Jesus says, you need to kind of think through from the context of the kingdom. And in a kingdom, the issue is always who's on the throne, right? So, so it's, the issue is, is who's on the throne? Who's going to be on the throne of your life? So to turn from your selfish ways is Jesus' way of saying, 
Take yourself off the throne of your life. You need to take yourself off the throne of your life. That's what it means to deny yourself. So uh, denial is not like an athlete who gives up something to make themselves better. You, you know, they're going to start drinking raw eggs for breakfast, you know, to make themselves more and more healthy. You know, no pain, no gain. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't really talking about a student who, you know, stays home to study because they've got an exam coming up, uh, you know, and they, they want to achieve. Jesus isn't talking about that kind of denial. Uh, Jesus isn't even talking about uh, giving up something for Lent. Did anybody give up anything for Lent? I know it's not really part of our, our church tradition, but uh, some people uh, do that. Uh, Lent is a period of fasting or, or moderation or, or self-denial for 40 days before Easter. And, and so some people give some stuff up. Uh, people give up all kinds of things. They, they give up stuff like social media. They'll give up stuff like uh, online shopping. It's chocolate. Give up chocolate for Lent or, or gossip. I actually said, yeah, some people will give up gossip for Lent, which, okay, so that means it's okay to gossip the rest of the time, not just during Lent. You know, I, kind of puzzled me. I actually talked with a guy a couple of weeks ago that was giving up coffee for Lent. I thought, wow. He's spiritual. I mean, that's, that's commitment, giving, giving up coffee for Lent. And so people will give up uh, all kinds of things for, for Lent. Personally, I gave up wingsuit flying for Lent, but um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, Lent is supposed to be about refocusing our lives to be more in line with God, you know, by cutting out the distractions. That, that's, that's what the point is. But Jesus says, you know what, if, if you're going to turn from your selfish ways, it's a little bit more than just giving up some things for Lent's. What Jesus is talking about here is something that is stronger, something that is more decisive. Jesus is talking about the essential battle of life, and that essential battle is the scramble for the throne. Who is on the throne of your life? Who is really going to be God? And when you deny yourself, when you turn from your selfish ways, you are saying no to self. You are saying no to your plans, your dreams, your ambitions, your preferences, and you are literally taking self off of the throne. You see, so much of the soul sickness we suffer from comes from trying to be the king of our own lives. We were never designed to be the king of our own life. Our soul was never designed to, to function as its own master. And when our soul becomes the, the, the master of our heart, friends, it's actually toxic. It, it's poisonous to, to us on the inside. You know, this is... Uh, I think one of the primary fundamental issues that human beings have been wrestling with since the beginning. Uh, think about it with me for a moment. If there were ever 
humans on the face of the planet that must have felt alive, it must have been Adam and Eve, right? I, I mean, if anybody felt alive, it must have been Adam and Eve. I mean, they were just freshly created. They were in this marvelous, perfect environment, this beautiful garden. They never grew old. They never got sick. They walked and talked with God. They didn't have to worry about getting sunburned. I mean, it was just, you know, just a marvelous, marvelous place. And then the serpent comes along, and what does he say? Beginning of Genesis chapter 3, you know the story. If you don't, you should go back and read it. It says, uh, the serpent came and said, did God really say that you may not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? It's like the serpent says, hey, you're going to get hungry. You can't eat any of the trees. And, and, and Eve responds, says, of course we may eat a fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden we're not allowed to eat, which was true. And then she says, God says you must not eat of it. That's true. And or even touch it. Well, God never said you can't touch it. And then Eve says, because if you eat it or you touch it, you will die. And then here's the relevant part for us this morning. The serpent replied to the woman, you won't die. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And that, that word God there is the word Elohim. It's, it's the word for divine being. It's not literally that you're going to be God, but you're going to become a divine being. And Eve goes, oh, I can be a divine being. I can be like God. I can sit on the throne of my life. I can sit on the throne of my heart. And charmed by that idea, she, she took the fruit. And when she took it, she didn't die. And she gave it to Adam. And they ate it. And since that time, not only who sits on the throne has been a fundamental issue of humanity, but since that time, mankind, I don't think, has ever felt truly alive. Because in that moment, sin entered the world, and with sin came death. You see, the throne issue and the life issue are inseparable. And as long as you insist on sitting on the throne of your life, you will never experience the authentic life you crave. Amen. You're always gonna feel like there's something more. You're always gonna feel like there's something missing because there's that God-sized hole. The throne of your life was meant for God. You know, you can do all the extreme sports you want. You can push yourself to, to have all the adventures and the experiences and the achievement and the success, and, and, and that's all good. Uh, I'm not sure if whitewater rafting qualifies as an extreme sport. 
But a few years ago, I went with some friends on the Elaho River just out of Squamish, and we went whitewater rafting, and, and that's me up in the front there. Actually, that's not me, but that's where I was. I was up in the front like that, and, and we got into these big standing waves on the, on the river, and I was up at the front, and I dug my paddle in, and the boat went like that, and the boat actually hit me in the, in the head because the boat just kept rolling right over, and it actually flipped us upside down, and all of us landed in the river. And it was cold, and it was in the middle of these huge rapids, and it was white water. And even though we had life jackets on, man, you spent more time under the water than you did above the water. And they had the rescue rafts and the rescue kayaks, and they were scrambling, trying to get us all back on board before we froze to death. And so I clambered up on the on the pontoon of this rescue kayak, and I tell you, my heart was beating, and I was pounding. You know, it was I was cold and freezing, and and then I began to catch my breath, and I began to warm up a little bit, and. And when we finally got everybody back in the boat, I mean, like, we were now the heroes because we had survived the flipping of the raft, right? It was amazing. Like, we had experienced the ELO and we had conquered. It was amazing. Then we got off the river. Uh, We dried off. We went home. The buzz went away. We all went back to work. And you know what, if that's all there is to life, then something's missing. I mean, I guess we got to go find some bigger rapids next time, right? Uh, So Jesus comes along and he says, you know, there's more to life. There's more to life, but you need to understand it's a throne issue. I love the way Neil Anderson put it. He said, until we deny ourselves that which was never meant to be ours, the role of God in our lives, we will never be free. We'll never be free. We'll we'll never experience life. So Jesus says, hey, listen, if you want to experience life, if you want to be my follower and, and really experience what I have to offer, you need to turn from your selfish ways And you need to, secondly, take up your cross and follow me. (laughs) Wow. Now, I thought the first step was tough. Take up your cross? You know, today we have, I think, a very different view and understanding of the cross because we view the cross through the lens of Easter. And uh, I'm just fighting a sneeze here, excuse me. It's very bad to sneeze into a microphone, especially for the next person that wears the microphone. But anyway... um, we view the cross through the, through the lens of, of Easter, and it has become an accepted symbol of love and sacrifice. We even sing songs like, oh, the wonderful cross, the wonderful cross. And, and yeah, absolutely, there, there is a, uh, an element to that that just draws us to the heart of, of God's love and God's work for us. But when Jesus made this statement, this was before he went to the cross. This was before Easter. And I think... When Jesus said this, this must have been an absolutely shocking statement for the disciples to hear. This, this was, I mean, the furthest thing from the disciples' mind. Because in reality, friends, the, the cross is not pretty. 
It is the most graphic, awful way for a person to die. The cross was something you didn't mention in plague company because it was just too horrific. It was a symbol of death and shame and suffering and guilt. In fact, Romans would not crucify their own citizens. You'd only crucify enemies of the state, people who were not citizens, because there was no more despicable way to die. And yet Jesus says, take up your cross. What in the world is Jesus saying here? How in the world do we take up our cross and follow Jesus? Well, I think maybe the place for us to to begin to understand this is to realize that Jesus is not talking about cross death. Jesus is talking about the cross life. You see, he's not talking about martyrdom. We already talked about that, where, where Jesus isn't saying, you know, that, that did you need to uh, uh, give up your, your physical, biological life. He, no, no, the, the issue is, is our hearts. And Jesus is not just talking about, you know, your problems. You know, sometimes he uses saying, you know, it's a cross I must bear. You know, it's like when your mother-in-law comes for spring vacation. You know, it's like, it's a cross I must bear. But no, that's, that's not what Jesus is. I'm not talking about your problems. He's not talking about saving ourselves. We don't save ourselves by our own cross. We're only saved by the cross of Jesus. So Jesus isn't talking about saving ourselves. What he's talking about is a selfless attitude of serving him by serving others. Jesus is saying that to follow him, not only do we have to say no to ourselves on the throne of our lives, but we also have to identify and connect with him in willingly surrendering our lives and sacrificing ourselves for others. So it's not the cross death that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the cross life, a life of submission, of servanthood, of sacrifice. Uh, one of the cultural sins that we suffer with, and, and, and what, I, what I mean by, by cultural sins is, is not necessarily just, just a, a sin that we would have as a personal individual, but kind of something that, that's just kind of in our culture that is, is not a reflection of God's kingdom, but just like, you know, fish in the water, we don't even realize it's there. It's, it's just something that we're all kind of wrestling with and, and struggling with. Well, well one of the, the cultural sins that we struggle with as Canadians, I think, is our sense of entitlements. You know, we, we live in this individualistic, consumeristic culture where it is so easy to think that the world is all about me. It's about my desires, my wants, my needs. And if I don't get what I want, when I want it, how I want it, well, I'm not happy, Bob. You know, that, that's just the way we function. I mean, we go to the grocery store, we line up at the grocery store, and there's three people ahead of us, and we realize that they've only got half of the, the, the cashiers open. Like, I mean, like, really? Come on. And we're, we're in the express lane checkout, you know, and it clearly says 10 items, and we're counting the person's stuff in the cart in front of us, and they've got 12 items. 
I mean, like, really? Like, come on. That's not right. It's just not right. Or, you know, we're, we're, we're coming after work and we're driving up the island highway and we get to that crazy intersection just in front of Brooks Landing there and we come up and the light is red and we see this string of traffic coming up Brecon Road. You know, and the light's green for them and there's just all this traffic and we realize it's ferry traffic. Like, now I got arrested with all this ferry traffic. Like, I mean, for Pete's sake, who let all these people onto our island, right? I mean, come on. Come on, and why don't they fix that intersection? Because if you stop at the first one, then you're gonna have to stop at the second one, and then you're gonna have to stop at the third one, and it's gonna take me at least nine more minutes. Come on. Or you got your, your flight booked to Saskatchewan. And then Boeing has this issue with the 737 MAX 8 and they have to reschedule everything and now your flight itinerary has changed and instead of arriving at 11.45 a.m. when you need to, you're arriving at 5 p.m. and it's not going to work. And then you have to spend 93 minutes on hold to get it fixed. Remember last week I was talking about living a life of repentance? I had a lot of practice this week. <laughs> that sense of entitlement, just, you know, it just kind of creeps into our life. Uh, does it leak into our church life? You know, when we come to church, we come to church a little bit early for second service because we want our free coffee. And then we have to stand in line. And the person up there getting their coffee is being just way too friendly with the coffee person. <laughs> like, can't you see that there's seven people behind you? Like, come on. And then we get up there and now they're out of coffee. It's like, or, or they're out of cream. You know, and, 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 the, and the nice person behind the counter is just not moving fast enough. Come on, service is going to start and I haven't had my coffee yet. And we come into church and the worship isn't loud enough. You know, or the preaching isn't short enough. And then somebody comes and talks to me about helping out a generation's kids. Or coming and helping serve coffee. Serve coffee? I can't even get coffee. Why would I want to serve coffee? No, I'm not doing that. I came to church to enjoy church. And then they actually expect me to tie 10%? Like, really? I mean, you're just lucky I showed up. Man, somebody better finish that foyer because it was cold in the winter. Can you imagine how hot it's going to be in the summer? Come on, somebody. Does that sense of entitlement leak? You see, that incipient sense of entitlement sneaks into our lives because it's just part of our culture. It's just kind of part of our human experience but it is the antithesis of life in the kingdom of God. As the great theologian and pastor Ryan Morgan has said, 
entitled Christians make Jesus look bad. It's a great quote. And it's actually a great picture too. I mean, it's priceless. For everything else, there's MasterCard. <laughs> Titled Christians make Jesus look bad. Uh, one of the things I've been doing for these 40 days before Easter is I've been uh, reading through the, I want to read through the entire New Testament. So I've been reading through the Gospels. And uh, reading through the Gospel of Luke, came across again what I think is, ah, it's got to be one of the most uncomfortable stories that Jesus tells. Every time I read this, I, there's just something inside of me that goes like, oh. And it's in Luke 17, Jesus says this, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, hey, come in, eat with me? No, he says, well, prepare my meal, put on your apron, Serve me while I eat, and you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Wait, what? Jesus says, in the same way when you obey me, you should just say, hey, we're unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Well, Jesus, that's not very nice. That, that doesn't sound fair. That, that doesn't sound like Jesus. Well, actually it does. Because it's Jesus trying to deal with our sense of entitlement. And friends, too often we say, Jesus, look what I'm doing for you. Jesus, I'm laying down my life for you. I'm suffering. Look, look at how hard I'm working for you. Jesus, now it's your turn. I'm going to put my feet up. Jesus, serve me. Jesus, bless me. Jesus, answer my prayer. Jesus, give me that spiritual buzz. Come on, Jesus, I'm working and living for you. Well, friends, actually, Jesus doesn't owe you anything. Jesus doesn't owe me anything. I owe him everything, everything. There's no entitlement in the kingdom of God. And friends, Jesus doesn't do what he does because he owes you. Jesus does what he does because he loves you. It's different difference. And we do what Jesus calls us to do because we love him. Because of what Jesus has done for us, anything, anything that we can do pales in comparison. great passage in Philippians chapter 2 where it talks about Jesus humbling himself and becoming obedient even to death on a cross and I think we looked at this passage when we had communion a few weeks ago verse 5 just before that passage about Jesus it says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had and before that 
uh, the Apostle Paul writing to his friends in, in the church in Philippi just gives them some relational tips on how to get along. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. Be like Jesus. As my mother used to say, it's not all about you, so get over it. But you know what? That actually is the ticket to really finding life. It's the ticket to life because Jesus says that if we're really going to find life, you know, and, and not just life in the sweet by and by in the sky when we die, but life in the sweet here and now on this earth, we got to get out of our own way. We got to get past ourselves. We, we got to get out of this trap of meism, this, this disease of entitlement. And we need to understand that cross bearing breaks the awful suction of the self centered life. Cross bearing breaks the awful suction of the self centered life and it releases the grace of God. And it releases his power. And it releases his love, not only in us, but through us. Friends, it releases his life. Jesus said, I've come so that you might experience life. You want life? This is how you really find life. You give your life away. And allow my life to begin to pour into you and to begin to pour through you as you lay down your life for others. Because when you is all you're living for, then you is all you get. But when you're living for Jesus, and you're living to serve others, you need to know that the world just gets bigger. The world just gets better. You find life. You find God. And the way the cross life gets played out is not by literally dying like Jesus did, but by living for others like Jesus did. To serve God by serving others. And so Jesus says, turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and, and follow me. Jesus, where am I following you? Where's Jesus going? I don't know. Just start following just start following. And last week we talked about the story of how Jesus was, was preaching to the crowd and used Peter's boat. And after uh, Peter, uh, after they finished preaching, Jesus wanted to go fishing. So they went fishing, caught this huge batch of fish, got the fish to the shore. And it was just an amazing, mind-blowing moment. And then Jesus looks at Peter, James, and says, John and says, listen, follow me. Well, Jesus, where are you going? They didn't ask that. Jesus said, listen, follow me. I'll make you fishers of people. And it says, immediately they left their nets and they followed. They gave it all up. They laid it all down. And you know, the amazing thing about it, friends, is that we're still reading their stories. We're still reading the stories of the adventure they had. We're still reading about the life that they lived when they laid it down to follow Jesus. You think they had something worth living for? Do you think they experienced life? 
When they began to follow Jesus, friends, when they got out of the way and just said, Jesus, wherever you're going. Now, that doesn't mean that life was always easy. That doesn't mean that life was always fun. But I tell you, they had a fulfilling life that could not be matched if they would have just stuck out there trying to work the night shift catching some fish. You know, when I started following Jesus, I didn't know that following Jesus would lead me to a place like Nanaimo. It's been rich, continues to be rich. When Matt and Amber Price started following Jesus, I don't think they knew that it would lead them to a a place like Thailand. And and you can read their story on the back of your your bulletin this morning as this is is our, our mission Sunday. But I tell you, they would say that following Jesus has been an adventure. It's been fulfilling. It's they they found life. Talk to a person like Darlene Nagy. Darlene is our children's ministry director here at Generations Church who years ago just followed Jesus in volunteering for Kid Zone. And it's been an adventure for her that, that now she just says, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just living the life because I'm just following Jesus. Friends, if you want life, it's when you get out of your own way and you lay it down and you give in to Jesus. When it's all said and done, Jesus says there's really only two approaches to life. Number one, you can live for yourself or you can turn from yourself. You can ignore the cross or you can take up your cross. You can follow yourself or you can follow Christ. You can lose your life trying to save it or you can find it when you give it away. Which approach will you choose? Let's pray. Just as we wrap this talk up this morning, I want you to just ask God, Lord, how am I trying to hang on to my life? Is there an area that I'm just hanging on, trying to grasp, trying to reach, trying to control? And it's something I need to let go. I need to choose to lose. Maybe it's the desire for a relationship. Oh, if I could only have the guy or the girl or the family or if I could only have that job if I could only have that house or whatever it is right now the Holy Spirit is saying you need to let that go you need to let it go you need, you need, to, be, you need to lose it Because as long as that is sitting on the throne of your life, there's no room for me. And you're functioning in a way that is keeping my best from being fulfilled in you. So Holy Spirit, right now in this moment, we bring whatever that is that we realize in this moment we've been hanging on to and we let it go. We choose to lose. 
so that in losing ourselves, we can find life that is really life. Life that is in you, empowered by your spirit, full of your grace, full of your love. Our prayer team is gonna be in the, the prayer room, which is just through these doors on the piano side. They would love to pray with you this morning. Friend, if, if you've come in here with something that, that you're wrestling with, that, that is just kind of weighing you down, we would just really love the opportunity to, to pray with you and see Jesus step into that situation, that circumstance to, to bring you life. And so our pre prayer team is gonna be there. Just encourage you to take a few moments before you leave. Otherwise, friends, on your way out this morning, can you just uh, find somebody that maybe you haven't talked to or haven't met and just say hi to them and be nice to each other in the parking lot? Uh, you know, you're not entitled to leave first, you know, just, you know, after you, after you. And, and uh, let's just serve Jesus together, amen? Let's choose to lose so we can find his life. God bless you.